Welcome back to the E6 podcast from Colonial Church, a place for candid conversations about what our church community is learning, what is going on in the world, and how all of it applies to our lives. As followers of Jesus, my name is Brooke, episode number 61, and Lauren's back. Hey. Good morning. Brooke. How's it going? Monday morning here, yeah. recording our next podcast episode. That's right. Did you say 61? 61. Roger Maris. Okay. For a long, long time was the uh, most home <laughs> runs hit in the season until we had Got our players 62. start juicing up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Good times. Sorry. I, numbers. I'm such, a, <laughs> I'm such a sports geek. You say a number, I'm like, ah, who's that? Uh, yeah. How was your weekend? It was really good. Yeah. It was really good. Little, little, uh, little extra busy. We had a fun leadership community event here at Colonial, which we, I, we had sixty something people come. That was really, really fun and encouraging. Was it sixty one? It may have been sixty one people. I should. Dang it! I just should have curious. said that. I yes. Um, <laughs> I had family come in this weekend, which just added to the fun and the busyness. And yeah, um, yeah, it was a good weekend. How was your weekend, man? It was uh, it was good. We also had some family in, and we did yard work. So it was, uh, you know, it's it's spring, and uh, my wife is usually the one that does all of the all of the planting and the flowers and the all that stuff. And I don't really know what I'm doing. I just try to make sure nothing. It's not all dead, and uh, <laughs> it's all dead now. So uh, it's spring, and so we planted a bunch of uh, flowers and grass and stuff, banana trees. I'm excited about the banana trees, actually. It is that time of year. Yeah. So that's what we did. Yeah. But I got to watch some, I, got, I watched some basketball last night, and uh, I know we, we could, you and I could easily have our own uh, sports podcast. Uh, I don't know that anybody would ever listen to it. But, I don't know that anybody but would we would have, have any interest, but we would of, have fun. We would have fun doing it. But uh, This I was did, a big sports weekend, though. Final it was, Four. It was. The Final Four is I weekend. think, arguably, the best sporting event of any given calendar year, I think. Got to go to one in... 2011 bucket list got nice. to go to both final four games and the championship game yeah yeah i you know honestly i used to watch it like all of it oh, every game as many games right? as many screens as possible and i would watch all of it <laughs> and uh i just got out of habit i guess and now i like the i like the early the early rounds where there's lots of upsets and there's the saint peters of the world that um, you know, finally got knocked out after what was it, the Sweet Sixteen or the Elite nope, Eight? They got to the, the Elite, Elite Eight, Eight. Yeah. lowest seed, fifteenth seed ever to go that deep, which is cool. And so that's why I like that. I like those. It's things so fun. fun I, one of my good friends in Houston, we used to live there a long time ago. He's a urologist. Wow, and, that's fun. And other, I know. Doesn't that sound like a Speaking fun? Speaking of fun things, um, but he's a huge <laughs> basketball fan. Uh, at one point, had the three point shooting record at his at his big high school in Houston, but he. Um, he informed me, and I think I've heard this since from other people, that if you look at a graph of the number of men choosing to go through the procedure of a vasectomy, which requires several days off work and sitting <laughs> and not moving I know where around, you're going already. <laughs> when it comes to March Madness every year, they the graph <laughs> just skyrockets. I'm not even kidding. Like He showed it's it to so me. so smart. He's like, oh, we're inundated with men who plan ahead for a procedure. That's hilarious. So they can sit. They can justify <laughs> making the most of their time and sit and watch all the basketball. Uh -huh. So I never had to go through <laughs> that procedure. Um, but well, I, I, I can appreciate the, yeah. the strategy of I know, I get it. I, I totally get it. I actually, I, I had a, I was uh, dating this girl in college one time. And, and um, 
I mean, just like we'd we'd gone out a couple times. It wasn't it wasn't anything crazy, but but she called me one day, and it was in the middle of March. It mm-hmm. was it was like mm-hmm. the second weekend or the first. I think it was the first weekend, like the second day of the tournament. Okay. And she called and she was like, "What are you doing?" I was like, well, "I'm watching basketball. It's March Madness." And she was like, "Again." And this was, I was like, she was like, are you seriously just going to do that? Like, just going to watch basketball? And you I was broke like, up with her right I was like, there. it's day two. Yeah, we didn't go out again. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I knew all I needed to know right there. I was you like, weren't well, married. This the is end. A- <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, you know, I found out something last night that uh, I hope might be interesting to some of our listeners. Whether you're a basketball fan or not, North Carolina is in the championship game uh, tonight. Monday, the 4th of April. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so watching them uh, in one of the final four semifinal games on Saturday. Hubert Davis is the coach at North Carolina. Uh, and this is his first year. And I just found out really recently that he's a Christian, that he loves Jesus, that he was even asked on a national stage this weekend, how does your faith inform what you do, your coaching? And, and he just, it was so cool just to hear him say very matter-of-factly and, and, and joyfully, oh, Jesus is central to me, and mm. uh, my faith in him, my relationship with him informs everything I do. It informs the way I coach. It influences the way I parent, the way I love my wife, et cetera. And I was talking last night to uh, at our group about that, and uh, Carl Waters, um, uh, Wayne's wife, if you knew Wayne from, from one of our former elders here, uh, you may just know Carl. She's an amazing woman. Uh, teacher here in our community, mother of three. She is a just diehard North Carolina Tar Heel <laughs> fan. So shocker, we show up at their house last night for our group that meets on Sunday nights, and she's got her Carolina Blue t-shirt on. Nice. And I mentioned, you know, about Hubert Davis, the coach's faith, and she, this is, so this is like second, third hand now, but she said that his mom loved Jesus and was a huge influence on his life. And he grew up going to church with her, but at 16, if I, if I remember the story right, at six, when he was 16, she passed hmm. and it really sent him into a tailspin. Uh, and he, in so many ways, walked away from God, just very, very, uh, she implied just very, uh, hurt and upset. And it was at university of North Carolina when he played there under the legendary coach, Dean Smith. Okay. that one of the things Coach Smith would do is have the boys go to church with him, which I had never knew anything about huh. Dean Smith's faith. I still don't know much. Yeah. But uh, evidently, Hubert Davis's sophomore year of college, in part because of the influence of Dean Smith, his coach, uh, really just took off in his faith and his trust in, in the Lord. And um, I just think that's so cool because I just – I from a distance um, – I'm not a North Carolina fan, but I can appreciate, you know, the incredible program they've built in basketball. And I just think of guys like Dean Smith as this legendary X's and O's right. guy and recruiter. And, and I don't know anything about what really mattered to him, hmm. you know. So it's cool. I, I'm, I've already become, I'm not a North Carolina fan, but I've already become a huge Hubert Davis fan. I okay. just really like him. So it was easy for me to root for them, even against uh, the great, Shashevsky this weekend. I know it's it's tough to see uh, it's tough to see Coach K go. You can't win them all, you know. Yeah, I saw I saw that he uh, he he lost his first game. Yeah, against uh, against North Carolina, and then he Decades lost ago. their last game. Yeah, <laughs> um, in the in the regular season against 
North Carolina, and then he lost yeah. in the tournament as his final. Oh, game. North Carolina fans have to love. I know they got to love that for sure. Well, and I think just as big, he was career-wise leading up to the game Saturday night. Shashevsky at Duke was fifty wins, forty-nine losses. So he, if he, if they just didn't meet in the tournament, yeah, he could have retired. You know, one up, one up, man. But he has to go to his grave tied yeah. with his rival. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, that's if he doesn't come back, you know, like that seems to be the normal thing. What, how old is he now? 70? Is he that old? Oh, he's 70 something. Really? Yeah, he dyes his hair. He looks He looks a lot younger. I don't think I realize that. I don't watch a lot of, you know, Duke basketball. But I, I try not to. I'm not a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Did you watch the, um, did you watch the women's championship game? You know, I, the, I, I have become more of a women's college basketball fan the last few years just because Baylor's you know, done Carolina so well. And, and the game last night, I, I turned it on, and I couldn't turn it off. They, uh-huh. Those girls were balling. It was good. That little guard from, uh, what's her name, from Destiny, South Carolina? Destiny Henderson. She scored she was, 26. They said it was yep, a career like high. That. I know. Senior. So fun to watch. That's the that's that's the way to go out, you know. You win a championship and have a career high. Can and you imagine? basically you she was the one. She was the one that won the game, but it was just like I, I, I loved watching her play and well and the other side of that, there was a senior on the UConn team that averaged like fourteen points a game and one of their best players, and I think she scored a bucket with like two minutes left. Like the contrast of gr- biggest right. stage, yeah. all the tension and and nervousness. And one player just shines, and another player wilts. And that's she actually, she, the the uh, the other player actually missed the warmups due to what they said due to an illness. Oh no! And so she didn't have warmups so either. And sick. it's like, and then and then she just couldn't hit anything. Oh, that's that's terrible. And Paige Becker's sports was, man. Paige Becker's was awesome. I think she's on, the woman Steph UConn. Curry. I know, man. It was like it's just so much fun to watch. I could watch. So. I could watch her just. Like if I tried to guard her, you know, there's some there's some girls that just because I'm a little bigger, a little taller, I could I could handle. Um, <laughs> of course, not on that level. But this girl, <laughs> she looks like one of my daughters. She's definitely shorter yeah. than me. She would school me. Like, okay, first one to the first one to, to get up her, by thirty wins, and it'd be her thirty in front to of nothing. You. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and and Destiny Henderson same way. Like she was so quick and fast, yes. and she was just going so around fun to people. watch. Yeah, it was it was enjoyable. It was funny. It was like my my son was in the he was in the kitchen talking to my wife as they're getting ready for bed, and as he's getting ready for bed, and and um, and he was like, uh, he he started asking Carrie Kay. He was like, "Can I go sit down and watch football with Dad?" And and uh, he doesn't know. He just didn't want to go to bed. And he's in the other room. And I I had literally just turned on the TV, and it was like an ad for the for the NFL draft. And so he's <laughs> my wife comes around the corner, and she was like, "Oh." Well, maybe he is watching football. And I was like, actually, it's women's <laughs> basketball, but uh, you know, it's fun. So, yeah. Well, it was it was it was good. It was a uh, it was an enjoyable game, and um, I always like to see an underdog. I don't always. know if they were technically an underdog in the situation, but like, well, it's, it's four, it's four blue bloods, but it's UConn. Yeah. So. Oh, and those guys, yeah, yeah. Um, Mike Shashevsky is seventy five. I just looked it up. Wow. Yep. It's my my. I, I you're younger than my dad, actually. I did not realize. That he was that he was that old. Yeah, hmm. that's cool. So I think some people just whether well, I don't. I didn't. I I assumed he was dying his hair. Um, some people just look yeah. younger. Yeah. You know, I think I think when I'm 75, I'm gonna look 85. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I don't look 75, soon. not that there's anything wrong with that. No, by the way, of course not. I just it was a shock. I didn't realize he was 75 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, 
we have a question that came in. Okay. And, um, oh, we got a little bit of a, a whopper of a question, don't we? Uh, sure, if you want to call it a whopper, that's a whopper. great. Uh, it came in a couple weeks ago, and we just have, with, with things going on, we haven't, haven't had around to it. So um, wanted to make sure we bring it up. So bear with me. I'm going to read this out here, um, and uh, I kind of shortened it a little bit, but um, here we go. All right, so after reading a book called Is Atheism Dead? and listening to a podcast by um, Rabbi David Wolf, which I believe is uh, the other side of this argument, um, I'd like to know what your viewpoint is of the Bible as a historical document in general. Should we view it as an accurate account or more metaphorical? There are, it goes on to say, there's multiple accurate instances proven by history, corroborated by the Bible, such as the city of Sodom and its destruction, um, but the book of Genesis perhaps, uh, offers perhaps more of a story. So mm. how do we take the Bible that we have, the, the, this, is, it, is, it, is it just a historical document? Is this a story that we're being told? What's, what's your viewpoint here? Whew. Yeah. I really do Ready, think that's go. a whopper. You yeah. have 30 seconds. Great question. Um, I guess maybe the first thing to say is, full disclosure, uh, I double-checked with Brooke. Neither Brooke nor I have read that particular um, book or listened to that particular podcast. Right. So can't really can't speak, speak to, that. to the details of that. Um, can, can definitely address it a little more generally. Um I think that uh, first and foremost, I know that I, that we here at Colonial, that our leadership, uh, and I, I can even speak just really more generally to Orthodox Christianity teaches that the Bible is inspired. It is uh, supernaturally inspired by God through human authors. We believe it's from God. We believe it's trustworthy. We believe it's reliable. Um, Thankfully, there's a whole lot of evidence over the years that has been really helpful in, in kind of um, rooting ourselves in certainty. Um, I'm not familiar with this particular book. There's a great, the, the, the field in general of apologetics, that's what they call it, uh, Christian apologetics, to, to substantiate um, the claims of Christianity, the, the archaeological evidence, the history um, that's been really helpful. I will confess too. Um, I'm not, I probably should have said this first. I, I don't, I don't think I'm the most helpful guy in this arena. Um, it's never greatly appealed to me. Uh, I read mere Christianity by CS Lewis long, long time ago, and it took me way longer to read <laughs> than some people because he's, he's brilliant. He's an intellectual and I'm not either of those things. Um, but one of my, Good friends, actually, my best friend from high school, who ended up being a uh, judge advocate general, a JAG in the Air Force for his career, really sharp, very intellectual. Uh, mere Christianity changed his life. Uh, he had a lot of these kind of questions: what can what can I trust? What can I believe? How do I know for sure? And so, um, one point, real quick, I should say, let's put this in our show notes: is C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity is an absolute, absolute top shelf option when you've got the hardest questions about um, uh, how, how much can we believe and why. Uh, a newer example that we can go to that I know that uh, Jordan, one of our pastors here, is teaching a, a small study right now on Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God. Let's put that in the show notes as well. That, that's Some people even claim that is a 21st century version of mere Christianity, just a little newer, more accessible. <coughs> 
Um, I'll date myself, uh, not quite as far back as C.S. Lewis, but uh, when I was an adolescent and a 20-something wrestling with these questions of, of how sure can I be of, of the, the Bible's reliability and things like that, um, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Um, and I know that's an old book, but it is a, it's a bestseller. It's, it, was, it was really helpful to me when I was younger. Um, and uh, so those are probably three good resources there. I think I'll, I'll insert a couple other thoughts. I think that uh, it's really important we recognize that there are different uh, genres of mm-hmm. literature in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I think there's a reason you don't pick it up and start on page one and read to the end like you're reading some novel or, or even some academic textbook. It's not, it's not in chronological order, uh, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, some people argue, for example, scholars that Job is the oldest writing in the entire Bible. Where is it? It's right in the middle. I mean, think about mm-hmm. that. That makes sense, you know. <laughs> but there's things like I even I even mentioned yesterday. The Book of Proverbs is not meant to be taken literally. Um, it is, and I didn't know that. I think till I was, you know, right. multiple years into my faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the most conservative Orthodox Christians agree. No, the Book of Proverbs is is wisdom. It's wise sayings. It's general truths. Um, I think of you know if, if you train up a child as the way he or she should go, one of the Proverbs says, he will not depart from it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a black and white statement that we all know sometimes just isn't true. Yeah. You know, if I, if I do this, my kid will be great. But there's a general truth to it. You know, um, the Psalms, much of which were written by David, uh, are prayers, are, are songs of lament, are songs of celebration, are songs of desperation. Uh, they do inform us about the character of God, the promises of God, but that was not their primary intent. It's like we're reading somebody's journal. You know, we're reading somebody's songwriting. Yeah. Um, the first five books of the Old Testament were, were written primarily to give us the law of, of God to follow with very specific instructions. There's other books, like we're in First and Second Samuel now in our study of the lessons of a king, uh, and it's very much story. It's narrative uh, with a lot of historical backing to what happened when and where. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I can give a kind of a mixed answer, it really <laughs> depends on what you're reading uh, as far as the primary purpose of, of the author and the audience. Yeah. Um, let me add this other thought. My brain's, my wheels are spinning. You know, we will look at the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, Matthew was written primarily to Jews. It's why if you open up Matthew and start with chapter one, it starts with a genealogy. It starts with a family tree. And for people who aren't Jews, you're like, okay, then this person had that person, and then this person had that baby, and that was named that person. And they, <laughs> But it means way more to devout Jews mm-hmm. because it's, a, it's connecting the dots with their Jewish heritage, their rich Jewish history. Remember these people? Remember these heroes of our faith? Remember these heroes mm-hmm. in our history? That's where Jesus comes from. Now, that wasn't written primarily to non-Jews. It was written to Jews. Luke wrote his gospel primarily with Gentiles in mind, with non-Jews in mind. John wrote his gospel, you can just tell so much, thinking of the heart 
mm-hmm. not not nearly as much concerned with um, the audience or or the narrative as I want people to understand who Jesus was and his heart. And so that's partly why we've got these different accounts that God has given us that overlap and confirm each other in so many obvious ways, but have different purposes behind them. Um, so that that's in some ways that may not be exactly where the question was going, but that steps into that broad subject of, do you believe this is literally true? Do you believe this is figurative? Probably the first place I'll land here, the first place we go when we think of that question is, okay, do you believe that in the Genesis account of creation, did that actually happen? Was that seven 24-hour days, uh, or was that metaphorical uh, to describe you know, God's power and sovereignty? Um, I personally believe that it happened literally, that... Um, I take it at face value, but um, at the risk of getting in trouble um, or, or, or at the very least disappointing some people, you know what? That's not central to my faith. I trust God in however he did it, and I trust that scripture is reliable. Um, and I love, I, I'm fascinated by reading people who disagree on how much of that is literal and how much of that is metaphorical. I just know I can trust the scripture. Okay, I lied. I'll land with one more thing. <laughs> Lee Strobel, let's 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 flood our show notes. Lee Strobel wrote a couple of books, Case for Christ and Case for Faith. And he tells the story of Billy Graham. Uh, when Billy Graham, who we all know was just one of the most influential Christian teachers and leaders of the 20th century, friend to many, many presidents on both sides of the aisle, um, early in his faith. I think he was in his late twenties, early thirties. Um, this is in the forward of case for faith by Lee Strobel. This has always stuck with me. Billy Graham had his own crisis of faith. He had a very good friend say, I don't know if I can trust this book. I don't know if I really believe all of this is true. And Billy Graham had his own doubts and his own questions similar to this question posed to us. And he describes getting down on his knees in a hotel room on one of his tours of speaking in different cities. And he prayed and he held that book, the Bible in his hands. And he said, God, I am choosing to trust you. I am choosing to trust that this is reliable. That this is from you. And I'm not looking back with all my doubts, with all the questions I still am going to have over the years. I am not looking back. I'm putting all my faith in you. And then this book, and we all know what happened with the rest of Billy Graham's life. He, he became didn't. a basketball coach and moved on with his life. That's and... a different <laughs> Billy Graham. I think oh. it was Billy Cunningham. Um, oh, okay, my bad. I don't what? know if I breathed in the last five minutes. I'll stop talking. <sighs> yeah, there you go. Um, Great question. And the kind of thing we need to be talking about. So I, I will say talk to Jordan. We have yeah. a resource yeah. here on our staff. Jordan is teaching through the reason for God. He is he. I think he would be even more excited than I am about talking about Christian apologetics. He's a great resource to ask some of those questions. So the person who who uh, submitted this question and anybody else who's interested in some of these questions, uh, if if you don't check out these books we're putting in our show notes, um, or even if you do, I really encourage you to seek out to to jo- seek out Jordan here on our staff. Yeah, and a couple of things that stick out to me is um, even in your doubts that you know that that God can handle your doubts. 
Yep. That's it's, Will. Yep. I can he can handle my questions. He can handle my uh my hesitations. I think he can handle our skepticism. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think the the other thing that sticks out to me is or that, that really that really helped me, I think, in, in this kind of a journey was was looking at the at the the Bible as a library and and not just a book. You know? Um uh, the, the the question says as a historical document mm. and um, and in my head, that was like, this is one book. It was put together in this way, but ultimately it's 66 books and they're all different and they all do different things. They have different audiences. They have different, um, genres, as you said, they have different literary devices throughout it. You, you know, we've talked about before the, um, the, like the staircase, uh, uh, I can't remember what's the what's the the um, where it has like seven stand seven lines of the stanza or seven stanzas to make the point in the middle. Oh my goodness, I'm blanking on. I know, it's, I totally forgot. But what it, it is that's right a literature device, right? Literary right. device. And so it's a way, but but when we fill in the gaps with right. the things that we know and the ways that we do, they don't make as much sense or it changes the meanings of things. And right. Um, so you know, just thinking about it in that way, realizing that okay, the you know. The book of Genesis was not written with the expectation that Exodus was going to follow it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when Matthew was writing his gospel, he wasn't thinking, okay, so when Mark picks up his gospel right after I'm done, or when, when Luke then writes his in a few minutes, you know, like they're not sitting around the same room writing these documents say, you know, in in this kind of way, like they're all intended for different people and written in different ways and different times. And, right. um, you know, just to, so to me, when you think about a, a historical document, it, that it's not a historical document, it's 66 different documents that are all written in different ways. So mm-hmm. I, that's that's always been a helpful thing for me. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a great question and and one that a lot of people wrestle with. And obviously there's tons of books and tons of podcasts and people that question things and yeah um so that's that's a that's a great question all right so let's get to um lessons from a king right so we're continuing our conversation talking about david and the life of david and the ways that he was great and ways that he was uh a little crazy and did some stupid stuff and um and this one specifically this story of david having an opportunity to uh Having an opportunity to kill kill Saul, um, but but holding back and saying no 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 I'm not going to do that. Um, to put it into context, um, this is when this is this is David has run away. Mm-hmm. Saul is still king, and still in charge of the entire nation and the army and all of that kind of stuff, and has on on multiple occasions attempted to kill David. Yes, which is why we're fleeing and running around and hiding in caves, and uh, and so now David has an opportunity. Um, to, to, to end this, to stop this. Not only has he been, he's been uh, anointed as the next king, which doesn't help Saul's terror. <laughs> his right, his right. mental state is not helped by, oh, this is the next guy. And then he's mad at him anyway, and so he's trying to take him out. But to, to me, I see this as like looking at, at David in the cave, like not only does he have a chance to um, uh, take vengeance, kind of what we talked about, and getting revenge on the ways that he's been treated and being chased around. Like, part of it's like he just has an opportunity to end this madness. Like, he didn't have to run anymore if he just, you know, draws that sword. And I tried to I almost said pull the arrow back or whatever. I don't know what he's using at this time. Uh, a sword, probably. 
a slingshot, right? That's what David's good with. Um, <laughs> you know, but he's like, oh, man, you could stop running. You could literally stop all of this and, and get everything going straight. But he says, no, no, it's not time. And I think about, you, you talked about um, uh, the guys that he's, he's trying to hold them back. He's like, no, 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 how do I, you know, we always, you know, you pretend like you want to get in a fight with somebody, you're like, hold me back, hold me back, you know, hold me back. <laughs> this is like, you know. He's doing the opposite. He's doing the other thing. He's yeah. like, no, 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 I'm holding you back, we're not going to do this. And then I started thinking, of course, this is my mind, because, okay, so, so Saul had to go into the cave alone by himself to relieve himself. Yes. Well, I mean, if we're honest here, he's pooping. Yeah, I never really said that, but you sure, didn't, surely but we is. all know. Come on. Yeah. Otherwise, this is a quick and easy thing, and, and right. you don't have time. But David has time, apparently. Yes. yes. So Saul's sitting there. Some some wives would say he's, for their men, he, David had maybe a long time. He could have had time. He's he's scrolling through his he's scrolling through his Facebook he's feed. He's got his iPad. He's trying to know. see what's going on. And David's like, oh, not that I know gosh. anything about that. David's watching his watch like, come on, dude, like we got stuff to do. And then he's like, finally like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. But he's, he's holding his buddies back because obviously he has time. I mean, if you have time to convince other people, yeah. uh, specifically warriors that want to end this war or this <laughs> chasing, right? you know, he's, he's obviously sitting down taking some time. <laughs> of course, you're, you're, you know, being all spiritual and stuff and I'm sitting there going... So you're saying he's pooping, right? That's what you're saying? I may have should, should have just said it. <laughs> there was this awkward tension in the room. <laughs> but he ends up coming back to, David ends up coming back to this this idea that, okay, it's not my job to take vengeance on Saul for all of the crazy things that he's done to me and, and is doing in the ways that he's not following God. That's God's job. So why? What are we doing here? Why is your question? <laughs> why don't, After, why I was don't, so ready, and then why you don't said, we just why? why don't we just end this? Like, let's just get it over with. Yeah, yeah. Well, it speaks to the power of the Spirit of God convicting David, just like He does us, of of what to do when, of of holding us back from our temptations, um, and helping us overcome the temptations that come our way, uh, and specifically in this case, to repay evil with evil. In fact. Um, had some really interesting conversations yesterday afternoon and last night about this teaching. I think this is so hard. It's a simple teaching, but I think it's so hard for us to live out that I, I, I can appreciate the multiple conversations I had at our group last night. For example, one of our, one of our group members, one of our friends said, you know, I just didn't really see revenge. I know you called this revenge and you spoke to, to, overcoming the temptation for revenge in this. But I saw this as respect for authority. Hmm. Um, because one of the things David made a big deal about is y- you're still my king. Like, even though you've tried to kill me already, you're trying to kill me now, you're my king. And and who am I to overthrow the king? Who am I to take out the king? And who am I to defy God in that way? Mm-hmm. Which is so, I think, what a, what a lesson for our time of, okay, I didn't vote for this guy, or I didn't vote for that guy. Ah, he's still my president, you mm-hmm. know, or I didn't, I, I don't like that this person is leading me in this way at work or um, at school, that there's the authority in my life. Okay, but what does the Bible speak to submitting to authorities and respecting people that are over us. And um, so I appreciated where she was coming from. I still think it's tied to, 
I don't know if I painted a, an accurate enough picture because if you didn't already know this, Saul tried to kill David multiple times. I think for for over his lifetime, uh, you can count six different times. <laughs> six. Have you ever? Have you ever? Somebody ever tried to kill you, Brooke? No, uh, right? Not that I'm aware. Not of. that you're aware not of. Not that I'm aware. Of. Six times, same guy tried to kill him, throwing a spear, sending him out to a, a hopeless battle. You know, man hunts. I mean, he's tried to kill him. And so this is very much about repaying evil with evil. You know, this is very much that temptation to, he has already tried to take me out. He has already spoke spoken disparagingly of me. He has already riled up my country <laughs> against me. Um, I, I, it's the temptation to strike back. It's the temptation to... Um, to repay him for what he's done. I, I like that one of our other friends in our group said, I, I see humility as the central lesson here because the call of Christ for all of us is to do what he did, to submit ourselves to the Lord and to submit ourselves to other people. And in this case, man, what humility combined with immeasurable courage did David have to say, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to submit to this. This is still my king. And I'm still, I'm still going to make an effort to prove to him where my heart is in this moment. Not even sure it's going to work. Not even sure that I'm going to survive. When I step out in the cave late in the, the narrative and reveal myself and make my little speech and hold the hem of his mm -hmm. robe, it, there's no way he still knew that this was going to turn out well. He may have just signed a death sentence of him and hundreds of men, you know, but the humility and the reverence uh, for God first and for the king, um, despicable as Saul was, so speaks so loudly. Um, pretty cool. I, I, I do want to broach one subject with you about this teaching that I have a feeling um, some of our listeners were thinking about yesterday or are thinking about under this subject heading because I had a couple um, people specifically come and talk to me about this and, I, and I've had these kind of conversations before. Um, to me, the call against taking revenge is crystal clear in the scriptures. Paul says it in Romans 12, uh, Jesus says we're to love our enemies, to treat people how we want to be treated, not to repay evil with evil. Um, the story we looked at with David and Saul teaches us the same. But I want to distinguish very clearly from, okay, what does that mean when we are in abusive situations? What does that mean when we are in risky, unhealthy, destructive relationships? Uh, because I, th I think that wisdom and, and God's love is represented by the counsel that says, okay, first you, you got to get out of there. Like this does not mean turn into a, a love, loving, wussy punching bag um, and just love them back and tolerate uh, destructive behavior. I, I think that any good counselor would say, okay, the first thing you need to do is remove yourself from that situation. Um, what we're talking about here in this instruction from Scripture is, okay, don't take vengeance. We, we can't justify, um, you know, just striking back. We can't just, well, okay, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> I'm going to hit him back. I'm going to say these hard words back. That's not the same thing. I want, I want to separate that from, there's a lot of situations we just need to remove ourselves from. And, and then 
with good counsel and support around us, prayerfully wrestle with, okay, what does it look like to love this person and love myself? I think that's something maybe I left unsaid yesterday because we're called to love God and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We forget about that second clause in the, in the great commandments. Um, and so part of loving others as we love ourselves is, okay, I've got to remove myself from this really painful relationship or from this very awful situation, at least short term, if not long term. And then with help, I need to prayerfully wrestle with, okay, how do I heal from this? How do I have healthy boundaries? And ultimately, how do I love? What does love look like? Love might look like just an attitude of the heart from a distance that has changed drastically and has nothing to do with re-engaging in that relationship or re-entering into that situation. Um, and that's where it gets really complicated. Um, and I, I just, I think that's worth mentioning because, and that's even that, what I just said, feels very soundbite-ish. I think there's it, messy, you know, relationships are messy and we're so sinful and dysfunctional at times that they get really complicated and God's call to love our enemies, God's call to not seek revenge and let vengeance, let justice be left to, to him is, is about as challenging as it gets. Can I just leave my little rant and ask you a personal question, Brooke? Okay. How easy or hard is this for you? I, I, I know in general where you're going to go because where we all go, but when, when you are hurt by someone, when you're frustrated by someone, when you're annoyed by someone... <laughs> How easy or hard is it for you to to resist or to give in to that temptation to to repay evil with evil, so to speak? Um, let's see. I, you know, what's the? Uh, Don't say the right thing. I say, know. Say what you think. <laughs> I think. I think it's. I think it's. It's. You know, for me at least. Um, it's the in the moment is when I have to. It's when you. You know. It's right afterwards when I am fuming or when I'm confused or venting or whatever, you know, that's, that's when it's the, the most difficult. Um, and then as time goes on and I can try to wrap my mind around it or I can seek wise counsel, um, then it becomes maybe easier to deal with a little bit. Um, you know, I think of, I think of times, um, you know, I can, I think of, of one specific time in a, a a job I had, and um, my boss and I just we butted heads constantly, and um, when it came down to it, um, I was let go, and I had so much frustration and bitterness and anger, and I wrote this like five page letter mm. to his boss, mm. and you know, and it was. In, in at least from my filter, I'll say that, at least from my filter, it was accurate, you know, and there were things that probably needed to be addressed. And, um, you know, it's like, like this situation, like David is not necessarily uh, wrong in wanting to end this or being upset with, with Saul because he's literally trying to kill him. And obviously mine is not nearly that extreme. But I remember writing this thing, and I was just so mad and so frustrated. And it took me, it took me, I, I ultimately, as, as the next few days and couple of weeks went by, 
um, I started to, you know, think about it and pray about it and talk to, um, you know, some people that I trust and, and not from the fuming inventing standpoint, which, uh, that's not true. It probably had some of, that, some of that in there too. Um, and it took me a while to get to a place where I was like, you know what, whether I was wronged or I was in the wrong or both, um, it's it's not it's not my job to fix that mm. and it's my job to handle it on my end and do do what i need to do and so there was um some release some letting go of mm-hmm. things and so I, I mean i i can't say that it's um i can't say it's easy uh i i can't imagine you know and and that's a um it was inconvenient it was it was a rough time um but it's also not like somebody's trying to kill me or somebody's, you know, going after my wife or hurting my family or, mm. you know, anything, anything else that would, that would make it even that much more difficult. Right. You know? Right. And, uh, um, so yeah, I, I don't know that I can say I necessarily handle it well. I think over the course of time, I ended up at a place where that letter, I didn't send it. I didn't do anything with it. And I found it years later and was like, huh, delete. I didn't need that. Because it was gone at mm. that point. It was like, mm, even even though that conversation still could have been a conversation, there was no need for me to be a part of it, and I was not a part of it, mm. and it was something that I had ultimately had to let go. And, um, it, you know, like I said, it took me a while to get there, but yeah. um, it's not it's not like it's an easy an easy thing. But you know, I think it it it's also um, each one is. Each scenario, each it's each situation is going to be easier or more difficult, yep. depending on, you know, who it's directed at, right? How intentional it is, uh, how painful it is, and and I think there's a correlation to how deeply it hurts. Yeah, you know? um, yeah. There's a there's a mantra. I don't know if it's unique to Celebrate Recovery or other recovery ministries, but um, I it's always stuck in my head that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. You know. And that's partly why we seek, you know, emotional health. We seek psychological health, spiritual health is because the more we mature and heal up, it doesn't make that temptation to hurt people back easy ever. Right. Um, but it does get easier if I could say it that way. Um, I, I can relate to what you're saying in that, um, I'm not tempted. Mine, mine are just small things. They're just people who hurt my feelings. They're people who have frustrated me. Uh, one of my good friends in this topic was talking about, um, without disclosing who he was, you know, he's just talking about how someone literally stabbed his dad and the same wow. person uh, broke his mother's jaw. Mm. So out of context, just it's safe to say, really bad, really bad dude. Yeah. And this guy at a fairly young age, only he says, because he had come to an understanding of the heart of God, came to a place where he could forgive that man. Hmm. And one, I'm inspired, (laughs) like, wow, Mm -hmm. you know, two, it's so encouraging to hear him say the, the freedom and the peace that he felt quickly because he was able to let that go. And, and extend God's grace and forgiveness to this this awful man was just very real to him. 
very significant. And, um, and he admitted, this doesn't mean I'm, you know, the next day when somebody hurts me or tomorrow when something gets difficult, I'm going to handle it really well. But I just, I needed to hear that from someone who's really gone through some pain and hurt in, in a way that I haven't, um, about people he cares about. So we also, some, somehow the slap heard around the world came into our conversation because <laughs> that's only been a, a week removed, but you know, even, you know, um, Chris rock, you know, just being hurtful in a moment and you could argue he's just trying to be funny, but still being hurtful in a moment on stage. And how did Will Smith, at least in a moment respond, he responded with repaying evil with evil. He responded with revenge. And, uh, so clearly even just a week later, we can see, okay, how, how long did that feel good for Will? Um, I'm going to guess at least a few seconds, maybe a few minutes. It felt really good. And then really quickly he was overwhelmed with, Oh no, Mm. what have I done? He's asked to leave. He's counseled by all these friends coming to his side with different thoughts. He, what's happened since then? I've been reading. He, you know, he's been asked, no, I guess he He removed himself from the motion picture society or whatever the, whatever the heck that is. (laughs) And then there's a couple movies he's been working on that have come to a screeching halt in Mm. their production because people don't know what to do with him now. And he's taken all this criticism. Of course, I can only guess, I don't watch late night TV, but I can only guess late night TV hosts are just having a field day, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's been criticized from all angles. How much, you know, grief and uh, fatigue and regret is he experiencing? Which I think is just such a clear lesson for us. Like, man, when I strike back, I can speak from experience. When I strike back to someone, it feels good for about a second. Mm. You know, I'm thinking back to when I got flipped off when I was on my motorcycle (laughs) earlier this year and we were stopped at a light after he's already flipped me off. And, um, I could not help. I didn't, I didn't give him any uh, similar hand gestures, but I did raise both hands. Like what, you know, and it felt so good. It's like, I'm like just you're bow, you're bowing up, up my pecs, you know, and I'm like, what, you know? And then the way he looked at me and I'm realizing he's in a big truck and I'm on a motorcycle. And I thought, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> and then I just felt terrible. I'm like, you know, we ended up driving in different directions and I'm like, what, what am I doing? That's now I feel worse than if it ever never happened, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I get the temptation to just bow up in that. It's mm-hmm. another way of saying it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to strike back. I'm going to, um, and, and speaking of what we think is looks like strength. I think Jesus modeled for it for us so well. I was talking to you earlier about this, Brooke, just there was nothing weak about Jesus. I don't know what as a listener, you're thinking about the person of Jesus. Read the Gospels. There was nothing weak about Jesus. I love his portrayal in The Chosen because there's not one ounce of, you know, macho fighter pride in Jesus portrayed. And there's also not one ounce of passive, weak, lovey dovey Jesus. He is just incredibly to the nth degree sure of who he is comfortable in his own skin. Um, the moment he looks at Pilate and he's like, you think I couldn't snap my finger like Thanos and <laughs> just change all this? No, this is, ex- I'm only here cause this is exactly why I came. Mm. Um, 
and and yet he didn't go nuts with a sword and fight back. He's like, well, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom looks like loving your enemies. My kingdom looks like going two miles instead of one. My kingdom looks like uh, giving your life away, not taking it. And whew, whew. Mm, that's good, as Jordan would say. It's tough. It's challenging. It's totally the world we live in right now. It's yeah? the world we live in these days. Yeah. yeah and I, I liked that you, um, you you gave us the list at the end. It was like, you know, to to expect to be wronged, you know, in, in order to know how we're going to respond to something when, when we're wronged is that one, we have to expect that we're going to be wronged because mm. it's going to happen. Then we mm. have to anticipate... Um, I think you said anticipate that we're going to want revenge. Yep, that's yep. normal. That's what we do, and then we have to make a choice after that and yep. choose choose to forgive. You know, we want we would want that for us. Yep. You know, it's that's you know right back to the do one to others. I would want you to choose to forgive me. Yeah. Maybe I don't want to choose to forgive you, but I would want you to do that to me. <laughs> Doesn't make it easy. Right. And and make it about make it about God. Like, how do we hope He treats us in our rebellion, mm. in the ways we've hurt Him? How do we? How are we banking on Him treating us with forgiveness? We it's it blows our minds if we really think about it very long. And so, why are we at all surprised that He's like, yeah, that's what I'm giving you, and that's how I'm calling you to live. Um, not double standard. I'm going to forgive you, but me, you don't have to forgive those people. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, what, the, what does the gospel say? Um, how many times do we have to forgive him? Do we have to, we have to forgive him seven times? Yeah, Peter's like, like are really? you serious? We have to do this over and over? Really? How many times? Seven? Huh? And he's like exaggerating. <laughs> Peter was literally exaggerating. Not three or four, Jesus, seven. Seven and, times. And David, uh, excuse me, Jesus just says, uh, 70 times seven. Uh, keep like, going. Let me just blow your mind here. <laughs> over and over and over and over and over and over again. Repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so um, as we wrap this one up here, uh, it's a tough subject in, in that we have to choose forgiveness, and we, we, that's, a, that's, that's a tough thing to do. And when our world is built, I mean, we watch movie after movie of, of revenge and uh, a father chasing after the bad guys or, you know, whatever. That's, that's, what, that's what Hollywood is built on, you know, and, and so we, we are, we are fed that constantly. And so choosing to... I think about um, was the movie uh, Unbroken. Mm. Uh, we did we did it for at the movies several years back. Um, Great true story. You know where mm. uh, what's his name Zamperini? Mm-hmm. I think Louis, Louis Zamperini. Yeah, Louis Zamperini. And uh, he's the uh, the 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 basically the you know the the one that gets chosen for all of the beatings because he won't give in and mm-hmm. and then he has to choose forgiveness. Yeah, and you know so it's like. Those movies are out there. We like those stories, yeah. but we also like all the ones where we get to beat the bad guy and you know, and then walk away with the explosion you know what? behind us. And maybe, maybe just to bookend this with some real confession, like, man, I like a good John Wick movie, like the next guy. You know, <laughs> I like B- William Wallace from Braveheart, and um, there there is a God created uh, element of a longing for justice inside each of us, you know? And I don't mm. think that's sin. I think the challenge is recognizing, okay, it, God made me in his image, and he cares about justice. Mm. He cares about righting wrongs. But it's also recognizing, and it's not all up to me, you know? I, ha- I have to 
I have to trust that he is sovereign. Um, boy, that's where it gets messy. And then uh, let's make it messier. Then Russia invades Ukraine yeah. and kills innocent people. And we haven't even talked about war and uh, how do we defend the defenseless and how do we fight for freedom and all at the same time love our enemies <laughs> and not seek revenge. Like, this is supposed to be really messy. If anybody is wrestling with, you know, I got to get this more black and white and simple. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. I, I just think this is the call of the Christian life. And I love, frankly, that we're in a town uh, where we've got military folks. We've got people with a global perspective, even here in our North Texas town. Um, and we're wrestling with, you know, issues that are going on across the globe. Um and wrestling with what does it mean for me in my context, each of us, to follow Jesus. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to be really hard. There's, there's a tension that I believe we're supposed to live in. Um, and if you're feeling it, then you're doing something right. I really believe that. Mm. And if you're feeling a lack of tension, oh, and this is all so clear to me and so black <laughs> and white, and of course we're supposed to go kill everybody, or of course we're supposed to never fight, or... Then I think we're doing it wrong. Yeah. You know, there's this this holy tension. I think we're meant to live in, and that the teachings of Jesus are filled with that holy tension. Mm. So, so there you go. That's how you should feel. Just wrap that Confused. up. Confused. Yeah. <laughs> Stuck in the middle somewhere. And we just had twelve more people. That's right. Go. I'm not listening uh, to these bozos. This. Well, all right. So, um, what what can we expect as we continue with our story of David? We've got a few yeah. more weeks in this, right? We actually only have a couple more weeks. We we could study David hands down. We could study David for at least two or three more months, um, probably the rest of the year if we really wanted to. There's so much written about David, so many lessons to learn. But we're only going to look at it next week, and then we are going to look at it again on Easter Sunday. Spoiler alert: um, I have never taught on the person of David on an Easter Sunday, and I'm I'm excited about, um, I already know where I'm going with it, but I'm excited about formulating those thoughts. And But then after Easter, we are actually, I guess I'll go ahead and announce this, we're actually going to shift back into the New Testament and begin where we left off in the book of Acts, because there are more things, I think, for us to have in front of us as a church in the 21st century, looking back at how did the early Christians um, grow? How did they grow personally? How did they grow as a movement of God's people? Uh, how did the Holy Spirit empower them to be the people of God where they worked, lived, played, and studied? Um, and so um, after Easter, we're going to shift back into the middle of the book of Acts and continue from there. Um, and then, of course, we're working on some amazing stuff for the summer with At the Movies and uh, some more fun for the fall. So... Yeah. We've got our house worship night coming up on the Friday night, the 15th. Mm -hmm. You're going to hear more about that even in the next week. Uh, we've got our Easter services on the 17th, regular time, so nothing new to, to complicate things with. I'm glad we're able to do that, 9, right. 15, and 11. Um, we've got a huge serve day. On, yep. Is that what we're calling it, by the way? Surf Saturday. Surf Saturday. I didn't have a good name. You know, <laughs> we don't have to be overthink it. I just went, uh, that's what it is. It's literally what we're doing I'm in a, the day. I'm excited about that because it's not coming to our campus. It's not, yep. you know, coming to a program. It's let's go get our hands dirty at a couple places. <clears throat> you only mentioned them briefly. I want to make sure people know who they are. On yeah. Saturday the 23rd, we're going to serve two 
organizations. Can you remind us who they are and what they do? Yeah, we're going to uh, Faith Refuge, who is a women's shelter. Um, we have uh, we've had pretty you know close relationship with them over the last several months at least, and um, we've done some other things uh, with them. And so uh, there is uh, some some work that needs to be done out there. And then we are going to the center which is uh, formerly the Pregnancy Help Center, um, and uh, the, uh, the director there, she's, she's a longtime colonial person. And, um, and they, they specifically minister to women in crisis. Yes, and, crisis right. pregnancy type, yeah. type stuff. So, um, so lots of that. We have several people that are involved in both places yeah. um, in, and in, in, an ongoing, yeah. in ongoing manners in, in both ways. So people on boards and people that are leading right um and and meeting out there and taking their groups out there yeah um so uh, so we love both places and we want to go and um and just do some work for them serve. just do some things that they need serve them in ways there's nothing coming back to colonial we're not getting paid in any way we are spending go the money serve, to do go stuff work. yep so um, and, and do it together like that's part of the fun yeah, is yeah. just to be alongside maybe you'll meet somebody new right uh maybe you'll get to bring family members friends to do it with I, I like that we're registering. We don't need registration for this other than if we know you're coming, my understanding is we're just going to make sure there's plenty of work to do. Yeah. We'll, it, we'll be better prepared. It, it helps us be prepared to make for, a difference. for yeah. being able to do what kind so of So jump on the app. So right? please get on the app and let us know that you want to be a part of that. Serve let us Saturday. know what skills you have. Uh, it's top thing on the app this week and probably will be next week as well. And, and it's not this Saturday. Correct. It's the, the 23rd. So we're going so the Saturday two after weeks Easter. from this coming Saturday. Right. Yeah, Saturday right. after Easter. So, so we want to do some work out there for those for those places. Love and it. we'd love for everybody to come and be a part of that. And as you said, the more people we know are coming, the better we can plan for uh, for our projects to happen. So, so yeah, that's it. All right. Anything else you got, Lauren? Nope. But I'm, I'm uh, excited about this season. Uh, spent some time outside this morning, and uh, it's like Jordan and I were laughing about how there's these little windows in our climate that are just perfect for being outside, and uh, it's going to get hot soon. Mm -hmm. But I love this season, stepping into Easter. Uh, it's a fun time. It's a fun time. Our, our church, I think, is going to have some real life the next couple of months, uh, April, May. It's just a fun season. Yes, and the weather is all over the place. Yeah. It was not supposed to rain, It'll and then it, and then it rained last through. night, yeah. and then it was supposed to rain all night last night, and it didn't, and then it's, I think it's like raining right now, and then it's supposed to rain later, and and then it won't, and then it's supposed to be sunny for like five days, and it'll rain again, and <laughs> yep. it can't make up his mind. True story. It couldn't, before it was like, is it going to be cold or is it going to be hot? Now it's just going to be, like, is it humid or is it actually wet? I don't know. All right, this has been the E6 Podcast from Colonial Church. You can always get more information about Colonial at colonialchurch.com, or you can download our app from the App Store, Google Play Store, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your email, your con uh, email, your questions, or your feedback. Um, thank you for those of you that either came up to Lauren afterwards or talked to one of us afterwards uh, this past weekend, and you know, give us your questions that way. Or if you emailed one in, so sorry if it takes us a little bit to get to some of those questions, but uh, we totally appreciate them. So thank you for listening, and we will pick up our conversation again next week.